welcome to the Purple Rainbow Pancreatic Cancer Podcasts, which are now entering their fourth year of broadcast. Who would have thought that when Seth died in 2014, all these years later we would be making a podcast in his memory? It's a really exciting time for Charlotte and me. We've been recording 30 podcasts, one for each day in November, as part of Pancreatic Cancer Awareness Month. Charlotte has been talking to all kinds of people involved with pancreatic cancer and over the next 30 days we will hear lots of personal stories. Stories of love, stories of commitment, stories of hope and sadly, as always with pancreatic cancer, stories of loss. Each story will help you understand the challenges of pancreatic cancer as well as the signs and symptoms and will help you to have conversations with people and ensure that they are aware of what to look out for. Join us each day for our Purple Rainbow podcast. If you miss any of the episodes, you can catch up by visiting www.purplerainbow.co.uk where all of the podcasts will be stored for you to listen to at your leisure. Follow us on your podcast channel, like and share, and join us for an interesting month with lots of stories of love and hope. Welcome to today's episode of Purple Rainbow Pancreatic Cancer Podcasts. This is one of 30 episodes you'll be getting across November 2021, all for Pancreatic Cancer Awareness Month. I'm Charlotte, and today I'm talking to Laurie Casey. She got in touch with us from America because she wanted to talk about her brother, Dave Nardella. The only way I could really describe him is a force of nature from birth. I mean, my parents would joke around and and say, you're lucky that you were even part of the equation because he was just so full of life and energy. And, you know, this was the young boy that for show and tell brought a sledgehammer (laughs) to school um, in his uh, (laughs) pre-K. Yes, yes. And uh, then growing up, he just always had a zest for life and wanted to try anything and everything. Um, When we were younger, my dad brought us to the first James Bond movie and Dave was absolutely hooked, as was I. Um, so every every little boy wants to be that special agent and, you know, have all the cool things. And um, to be honestly, Dave did that. I mean, he grew up and went to Western Illinois University and graduated with honors and became that undercover special agent for our government. So he was just you know, lived his life and walked the walk and talked the talk. And I like to tell people that he he kept us safe from the evils at night that we we didn't have to worry about. Was he very protective of you as a big brother? Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah, I'm getting choked up even thinking about it. Um, we had such a special relationship growing up. I was a tomboy and wanted to be just like him. I mean, everything he did, I wanted to do with him. Um, He loved weapons. He was very safe. Uh, He loved bow and arrows. He loved Chinese throwing stars. Um, You know, so we always had that adventurous side. and, And with the respect of things such as guns, my dad took us to, um, 
a gun class to learn how, you know, to learn the safety aspects, to learn how to properly take care of it and to shoot it and, you know, gun owner safety. So it was more or less that was instilled in us. But growing up, um, we had this thing where he was the big bro and I was little sis. And we always referred to each other as that. Um, you know, his friends were my friends. My friends were his friends. We hung out in the same crowd, but we were always together. I mean, even when we went to college, um, I went to visit him. He went to visit me. So it was such a unique relationship growing up. Um, and I cherish that. I mean, I cherish having a sibling and we have two boys and I always tell them this, um, no matter what, what they do, if they're, you know, getting after each other, but they will always be each other's best man at their wedding. And that relationship to me just sums it up. You know, I stood by my brother when he got married and likewise, he stood up for our wedding. And that was the relationship we had. Growing up, obviously you saw him go off and be that undercover agent, that special agent. What was that like for you as, as little sister seeing big brother go off and, and be, what he, you know, his dream job? Oh my gosh. It was so exciting. And Dave never did anything, you know, nine out of 10. I mean, he was always all in all the time and just working for such, you know, a huge, I mean, very ambitious, obviously, but a huge accomplishment. And that isn't something that our government looks upon, you know, lightly. They went, I, I just remember when he was, he was um, going through all the interview process. I mean, they go back to our grade school teachers, uh, neighbors, friends, family members, everything, you know, they, they roll back and, and peel back the onion and, and look at everything from basically birth until now to make sure, you know, is this person who they say they are and, and, you know, if they're representing our government in an undercover capacity, um, you know, are they going to be capable of doing it? So, just to see him go through that process. And I remember him calling me up going, you know, Laura, don't mess around. Don't mess around. You know, <laughs> like, because if I were to get questioned, um, so he was always so, you know, in, in one, one sense, he was very, you know, ambitious. And, you know, if you say, Hey, let's jump on a plane and go here, we would go. Um, but then in the second part, you know, he was like, no nonsense, like very black, very white when it came to the government and this this job. And it's a job he did very well. He got a, a rewarded quite, quite well. You know, he, he got some of those highest awards, didn't he? Please tell me about those. Oh, my gosh. Yes. So in his capacity, and, and I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but the highest award you can receive is the gold medal award. Um, which he received several as well as silver, as well as, as bronze. And basically it was for thwarting any sort of, um, you know, terrorism attacks. Uh, and, and Dave would go undercover and, you know, it, it would be situations where he was in grave, grave danger. And he was acting as the undercover special agent to, um, you know, get these terrorists to divulge certain things, which could then lead to their capture. Um, you know, so in many cases, it was materials used to build bombs. 
Um, and you know, Dave was, Dave was heart and soul in so many of these convictions. And then, um, the last time he received the, um, the, the gold award, it's always presented in Washington, DC. And Dave, Dave was never one to take the credit. He would always say it was, it was me. It was my team. It was my team. It was all of these other people like all he was not showy. He did not. He never, ever wanted all eyes on him. You know, everything he did, he said it was for his team and with his team. And the last award ceremony in Washington, D.C., after Dave had become diagnosed with pancreatic cancer as a surprise, all of his agents in the Chicago office where he was the the head of, um, they paid to go to DC to see him receive this award and they paid on their dime. So it was really special and it was a surprise. And I mean, it was, it was like nothing I've ever seen before. Like he touched people in a way that they just wanted to be better. Wow what what a legacy for him as well you know to have to have been that person and to just to inspire people like that that's incredible that is utterly utterly incredible i'm going to talk now a little bit about uh, or ask you a couple of questions now about what it was like when he was diagnosed when did you when did you first or when did you as a family first find out that dave was poorly well so dave always had um, a love for 10 speeds and loved riding bikes. And so on Fridays, he would take a spin cycle class. Um, He was in class, started feeling sick and vomited and there was blood. And so he called the doctor. Then he went into work (laughs) and the doctor said, you need to come. And that's when they started running tests. I found out because I was at home and he texted me and I still have the text and it said, may I call you? And this was not like Dave. Usually you'd be like, hey, little sis, what's going on? I'm going to give you a call. And my worst fear um, with Dave being in the capacity that he was as an undercover special agent was getting a call and having him be in Afghanistan or Iraq or Syria and his undercover, you know, was blown. So I knew his alias. I was the person that if he said a certain name, I would spring into action. I would have to know this person inside and out. And that was something we had always always discussed between the two of us. So when he said, may I call you, I felt a little uneasy because it wasn't the way that he would normally verse things. But I just said, sure. And I replied back with a goofy emoji thinking, you know, I don't know what's going on. And then he, um, he said, Laura, I need you to sit down. And I said, okay. And he said, I'm in the hospital. And I said, okay, so part of me thinking, you know, did something happen overseas? That didn't happen. So I was very much reassured. But then he told me 
that, you know, he was in the spin cycle class, what had happened, and they think it's pancreatic cancer. And so in one breath, I was relieved he wasn't made. And in the second breath, I was horrified because how could this be happening to such an amazing dynamic person that I knew? So you got that news. What happened next? What were, what were the next steps for, for Dave? So his best friend had flown out from Las Vegas to be with him. He then said, could you meet me on Friday when I'm actually going to be diagnosed? Because they had done a biopsy. Um, they were waiting for the results, but they said, you know, most likely you'll have to have a port inserted and this is sort of next thing. And, and this is from like, we, we don't have experience in our family with cancer. So all of this was completely foreign to my brother and myself. And I mean, you know, Dave was so well-educated, like he wanted to learn everything about everything. Um, And I think I had told you earlier, he taught himself how to read, write, and speak Arabic just so that if he's in a situation, he could immediately jump into action. But this was uncommon ground, uncharted waters. And I said, absolutely, I'll be there Friday. What time? And he said, you know, can you meet me at nine? And I said, absolutely. So... I met him for his first oncology visit, but what he didn't tell me is when they said, this is what we think it is, and, you know, we're going to have to put you under, do the biopsy, but then we'll have to put you under again to put the port in. He said, no, just do it now. If you know what it is, do it now. Like, don't wait. And that's how he was. Like, let's get this party started. Let's, you know, get everything on the table and go. So not even having the confirmation, he had them put in the port. And when I met him on Friday, my I, I couldn't believe my eyes because he was so bloated um, just from having to take blood thinners. Um, because what most people don't realize is there's there's blood clots and there's things associated with the cancer that you know, you're, you're trying to make sure that your blood is still, um, you know, isn't, isn't coagulating to the point where it's creating the, the blood clots. But so gave him a hug. And at the time I had poison Ivy really bad and he was, you know, bloated up probably with 20 pounds of water weight. And his first reaction was, Lori, what's going on with you? (laughs) And I'm like, I just have some poison ivy, you know, like here he is going to be diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and he's concerned about what's going on with me. And that's, that's how my brother always has been. Um, so we waited and we talked a little, um, and he's just like, you know, talking about when he gets better, like, let's get this knocked out. Let's figure out what's going on. And then when I get better. And I mean, always throughout the whole journey, so positive. So we went into the doctor and met the doctor and he was very nice, um, or the oncologist, I should say. And we sat there and some friend of mine gave me some great advice and said, Lori, take a notebook with you. So I did. 
And thank God I did because I was trying to write down questions and things that were happening. And, um, you know, it's something you could refer back to, but it's also because everything's a blur. It's all coming at you, all the details, all the information. Um, but I'll never forget the oncologist looking at my brother and saying, do you have your things in order? And to me, that was a so wrong and B I just thought, who is this person? They don't know my brother and how amazing he is. And he's so dynamic and he's 46 and in great health. And, you know, he's a superstar and he's defied so many things before and was in a car accident with a truck that he should have died, you know, five years prior. Like he's got nine lives. Like what, who is this person? And so I bit my tongue and just waited for this oncologist to start telling us exactly what the diagnosis was. And I'm writing things down and, and he says, um, Mr. Nardella, you have uh, pancreatic cancer. It is um, in your pancreas. It has spread to your liver and also your stomach lining. And so then I said, what stage is it? And unbeknownst to me, like I always thought, you know, stage one, two, three, four. And, um, you know, that's, that, that's what I knew from this thing called the cancer. And he said, no, actually we, we don't stage cancer anymore. And I said, what do you mean you don't stage it? Like, how do we know where, where we're at? I'm very much a numbers person. And so is my brother. So where are we? And so while we were at the appointment, I Googled it and it, came up as stage 4B, which is the worst. Um, once the cancer has metastasized, you know, it it becomes worse when it's with neighboring organs. And that's where we were at. So I looked at the oncologist. I said, well, in prior years, if you were to categorize it, would it be stage 4B? And he just looked at me and said, yes. So that's when we knew the fight was on because this wasn't just and I shouldn't say just, but it wasn't the tip of the pancreas where things could be done and, you know, chemos can be used to knock it down and do a surgery. This was full on, you know, stage 4B. What was your brother's reaction to all of this and to the diagnosis? I still can picture his face. And he turned to me and he said, Lore, I said, Dave, we're, we're going to do this, like whatever we need to do. And that was always, always his stance. I mean, you know, he was so worried about getting better so that he could still fulfill his duties as an undercover special agent. And he had three small children at home. I mean, three kids under the age of eight twins that were eight and a son that was seven. And he just knew it wasn't his time. So we started asking about clinical trials. We started, you know, he already had the port put in, you know, let, when are we getting started? Like, is it chemo? Is it, what are we doing? We pushed hard for everything that we did, but I, I just, I wish we would have pushed a little bit harder. Um, 
when it came to anything, because knowing my brother and, and, you know, I told him this, I'm like, he would have traveled to the moon and, and, you know, drank goat's milk out of, uh, uh, a canister. If, if that's what would have helped, like anything that anybody said would help, um, he would have done. So that was his attitude. That was his life attitude, but that was also the attitude when faced with this cancer. Sadly, though, he did die. How long was it? Did you have to get her after diagnosis? I'm sorry for asking this question. Well, it was six months and 17 days. And it was, it was something where when, when I first went down to see him before his initial, um, his initial diagnosis, his friend Jimmy was there, his best friend and and brother, really. Um, and Jimmy handed me off a an envelope, and it had like all of these details on it, and appointments, and little things. And I looked at him, and and I was like, oh my gosh, you know, my brother was divorced at the time, and there was just a lot of information. I thought, who who's gonna who's gonna spearhead everything? Who's gonna get the reins? You know, because chemo's eight hours long and then you have to go the next day for a shot and then you have to go for scans like it's this crazy just hamster wheel that you're on and so I spoke with my husband and our teenage boys and I said I need to be with my brother and as a family we made a decision and I said I don't know how long it's going to be but I need to do this so for the next six months and 17 days, I was with him and scheduled the appointments and figured out, you know, different scans and where to get them and, and basically built a very strong bench of family and friends and loved ones and neighbors that all pitched in. And it was, it was an army that was like no other. So I was, you know, that was an amazing thing. And I'd, I'd do it again. I was going to say, it sounds like your brother clearly affect, you know, influenced, affected in a good way, impacted on lots of people to just have that support around him. And that um, it sounds like he was surrounded by love the whole time as well. So I guess there must be some comfort in that part of it, I hope. Absolutely. And the interesting thing is, and, and, you know, I, I, I recall this because in the beginning it was, I was told, our parents were told, and he did not want anybody else to, to really know. Um, I remember he he was very specific because what he said was, we're going to get through this, I'm going to get better, and then we'll let people know kind of what happened. Like, you know, residual backgrounds, we'll, we'll, we'll fill them in on all the details later. But then as the appointments began to build and the blood draws and the protein and the, you know, getting the, the platelets and different things, and it was becoming overwhelming, I said, Dave, we have to let our family know just our family. That's, that's what, like, that's, you know, the basis of who we are. Um, and we had lots of cousins in the area. And I said, 
I'm asking you if we could please just let this out to other people. Um, again, not the not the universe, but just our family, so we can, you know, I I I need to rely on other people on this bench. And so the good thing was he did say yes. Um, and our cousin Mike, who was also like a brother to my brother, um, is a retired state trooper. And so he was able to come and spend a lot of time and take Dave to appointments in downtown Chicago and, and other areas. And then what I would do is I gathered all of our family emails and I created an email chain. And so every about three weeks, I would send an update, let people know what was happening um, and communicate that way. So throughout the six months and 17 days, I have probably 10 or 12 very detailed emails, um, which almost tell tell our story verbatim. Do you read those emails back at all? Um, you know, it's interesting you say that because I, I just printed them all out. Um, I, I remember talking to my dad in the beginning and having him say to me, well, the good thing, Lori, is it was caught early. And I said, dad, no, it was caught early but this cancer is so sneaky and evil that it's already spread. So there was that disconnect. And I had, I had mentioned my dad one day that I wanted to write a book about this whole journey that I was on with my brother, like our journey together, because I don't really think people understand how enormous and how, important it is to have the awareness out for this cancer. And, you know, the less than 10% survival rate, and, you know, that's how breast cancer was. And and now look how far it's come. So it's just, it's, to answer your question, I have read them because I printed them out because I want it, I want these emails to be sort of a basis um, for the book that I'm, I'm planning to write. It's been four years now since you lost your brother. What's it been like for you without big brother around? And how do you remember him? Wow. Well, I'll be honest with you. The grieving process is like nothing I've ever experienced. And the first year, oh my gosh, I was in a fog. And the second year, I think, is when things hit me. And I hadn't discovered these closed groups on Facebook for pancreatic cancer and support and everything else until after he passed away. And so I saw a quote that said, find hope and purpose. And I wrote it down. And that quote has helped me because what I do now is I help others. And if they're reaching out saying, what do I do in this situation? Or, you know, I, um, one of the things that, that is sort of my mission is when people unfortunately do say, um, they have a loved one that passed and they'll start by saying, my mom lost her battle with pancreatic cancer. And I, 
immediately will write, no, she didn't. She earned her purple wings. And I learned that in one of these groups because anybody who has ever watched a loved one battle their heart out. I mean, you know, when my brother did pass away, when he was first diagnosed, he was 210 pounds. He was 61 and a half pounds. I mean, this cancer does not discriminate. It takes everything out of you. And so when I see people, and it doesn't matter if it's this cancer, colon cancer, breast cancer, whatever, when I see the words lost their battle associated with someone going through cancer, it just lights a fire in me. And I want to educate everybody to say, please stop saying that. Because if you saw this person in this war of their life with, you know, an an unknown enemy that you can't see, but wreaks havoc, havoc on your body, you will never, ever use that phrase again. So I, um, I started that as my mission and, and I'll even hear, you know, people on the news say this person lost their battle with cancer. And I just, oh, it just drives me absolutely crazy. Do you know, I love the idea that obviously your brother had all his missions as an undercover agent. And this is now your time to be not undercover agent, but to be the agent to spread the, to spread the education, to spread the awareness of pancreatic cancer. Yes. And, you know, I, I think one of the, one of the most amazing stories and this, this sums up my brother like to a T. Um, and this was, this was toward the end. Um, his arm started to swell. We were in the hospital and so he had to go for an x-ray and, um, I went down with him and, and the gentleman who was taking the x-ray had a turban on, a black turban. And so Dave immediately started talking in Arabic. And I mean, you're talking this like blondish brown hair, blue eye, big blue crystal blue eyes, all of a sudden starts talking in Arabic. And the gentleman looks at him like, oh my gosh. And so finally Dave, and this was, this was Dave. He was the befriender to everybody. Um, and he, he just started talking in Arabic. And so they started going back and forth and I'm sitting there and, you know, then the, the gentleman says where he's from. And my brother says, oh my gosh, I visited there. I took a train. It was gorgeous. This and that, <coughs> excuse me. And, um, so then he says, well, I'm going to take your brother. We're going to do some tests. They weren't sure why the swelling was happening. And so I went back up to my brother's room and I just sort of sat there um, by myself. And then one of the doctors came in, one of the, the hospice, um, nurses and a doctor and, um, they peeked their heads in and then they turned around. I said, wait, wait, wait. And they said, Oh, is your brother downstairs for testing? I said, yes. And I said, so what, what is, what is going on with my brother? I said, he is so black and white and I know we can't, do any more chemo. And this is, you know, what we're doing, but what, what is happening? And, um, I said, because I can't tell him, like, I can't tell him anything that has to happen. You need to tell him and you need to be very, very black and white. 
Um, because up until then, we hadn't talked about a timeline. And I was concerned because my brother wanted to buy a vineyard. He made his own wine and he talked about retirement and he talked about, you know, and and I just thought, oh, my gosh, how 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 does he not know that this there's there's an end to this story and it's coming pretty quick. But I was not the author. I was not going to deliver the end of his story. So this woman who was the doctor, she sat next to me and I said, listen, this is my only sibling and he needs to know. And she said, okay. She goes, I will come back. I said, he should be back in about 15 minutes. So they got him in the bed and about 20 minutes later, she walked in and I was always by my brother's side. But this time I moved a little closer and I held his hand and he kind of turned and looked at me and she came over and she said, Mr. Nardella, I need to tell you something. And he turned and he said, Lore. And I said, just listen, Dave. And he, she said, um, Mr. Nardella, you have less than a week to live. And I remember grabbing his hand and biting the insides of my cheeks because I I knew I was going to just cry. And he looked at me again. He said, Lord. And then he stopped and turned to the doctor and said, Oh, doctor, I am so very sorry that you have to deliver that news. That must be very upsetting to you. And she started to cry because I can guarantee you that is the one and only time that this doctor has ever told somebody that they weren't going to make it more than a week And that person turned it around and was more concerned with them than they were themselves. And throughout this whole, you know, discussion, I think that is the biggest thing I want people to know and remember about my brother. Um, You know, not that he got mad for his entire office flying on their own dime to D.C. and, you know, this and that. But just the idea that when faced with your own mortality, you know, you think about how you would react. You know, you get angry, you get frustrated. No, I want more. You know, he literally turned and apologized to the doctor because he thought that she, you know, would be upset by delivering that news. Um, and so in remembering him, you know, I think about everything we went through. I think about how tough times are now for people. Um, you know, everything we're facing in this world And to be honest, I have such a different outlook on life because of him and because of what we went through. 
And because of honoring him in the way that I have and continue to do, um, that I, you know, I feel like nothing could ever, ever bring me down again as much as, you know, that did with, with losing, with losing Dave. Um, so I guess in some strange way you look at it, like if, if you face the hardest or saddest or, you know, grieve the most you're ever going to grieve again, then nothing could ever be that bad. So if you look at it that way, I guess that's some strange sort of a positive outlook. Thank you so much to Laurie for sharing her stories of Dave. He sounds like a remarkable man. Laurie and I actually chatted for ages, but I promise you the time absolutely flew by. So I really want you to keep an ear out for Sunday's episode. Every week on a Sunday, we do a reflection episode of the um, interviews we've done throughout the week. And this week, you'll hear parts of the interview I did with Laurie that didn't make it into this episode that are absolutely worth hearing again. And of course, Thank you for listening to this episode. Please remember to share the podcast, leave us a review and a rating. You can do that in your podcast app. We're here every day in November, raising awareness of pancreatic cancer. You can find out more at purplerainbow.co.uk. And of course, I'll be back tomorrow with a brand new episode for you.